everybody. This is Dr. Diana Wiley, and I'm your host of Love, Lust, and Laughter. Andropause, sometimes called male menopause. So my friend and colleague, Dr. Stephanie Bueller, is here to help us sort this out. Um, you know, it's, it's, a, it's a big issue because when men and women face the same passage with different needs and directions, Sometimes they have troubles with their marriage surviving. So we're, and of course, many men don't discuss this with their doctors, their wives, their partners, their lovers. So let's talk about it, Dr. Stephanie, and welcome back. Oh, thank you. I'm very happy to be here. And this is a very, <laughs> this is a very fraught topic. And- yes. Yes, very fraught, you know, there's a lot of confusion about what is happening at different stages for men, because I think women are a little more vocal about it. And we have more, well, we can get into it, but we have more uh, signs that there's, um, you know, things are progressing and men don't. So that's right there. That's kind of interesting. Yes, because you say that men and women go through this midlife process differently. And so you've started to explain that. And um, and there are, you know, existential issues, too. Let's just touch on that, uh, Dr. Stephanie. Uh, you know, the more evolved man may be thinking, where, where is the meaning? What parts of myself have been left out that I am now free to live out? And other existential, we talk about some of the existential questions that you've come across Um from your male clients? Yeah, so it's very interesting. Um, For quite a long time, my office was located next to a a major urology practice where I live. I got referrals of many, many, like countless men. I used to joke that we needed a revolving door. Our two offices. So um, I'm very familiar with these issues. Uh, but so often men would come into my office and they had seen the neurologist because they had a sexual issue. And I, somewhere, at the, you know, in the first session or two, I would think to myself, oh my goodness, the doctor has sent them here because they don't want to have to tell them that they're aging. <laughs> Uh, yeah, they, need, they need a psychologically informed person to do that. <laughs> right, exactly. That's like opening up a huge can of worms. Yeah. And I do think that, you know, women, uh, for the most part, we're menstruating until we're done. You know, of course, there's mm-hmm. um, uh, hysterectomy and other things that can be happening. But for men... You know, there's no, there's no cycle, there's no menstruation, there's nothing that tells them concretely, like, you're getting older. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you are getting older. We know, women know, we know. But I think men do not get that signal. And they are, I think, quite often in denial about the fact of aging. And once they are made aware of it or they're put in touch with it i think some some accept it and uh that that's great and some i think really struggle they they do struggle one of my female clients uh said um 
you know, um, I have some menopausal symptoms, but the main problem is my husband has more. <laughs> oh. <laughs> yeah, more symptoms. You know, in this case, yeah. he, was, he was 57. He was withdrawn, moody, angry. And she was able to to, to say, he, angry that he's aging and losing his hair. Uh, right. Oh, right. It's uh, insulting, I think. It's insulting to their dignity. Yeah. Their felt sense of dignity as a human being that these changes are happening. And some of them, you know, there are things that can be done. We can talk about the role of testosterone, of course. You know, you can get, uh, you know, hair put on if you want it. Yeah. But, you know, other things, I mean, you know, <laughs> things just happen. You know, knees get creaky, backs get creaky, necks get creaky. And, uh, you know, there's, there's um, some slowing down. I mean, I think everybody is different, uh, but many people do start to slow, slow down. Um, and maybe it happens more gradually for men as well. But I think, you know, it's like going to the gym and one day you realize, Huh. <laughs> I can still go to the gym, but I'm not able to lift as quite as much weight as I once did, for example. And that's just all of that, is, all of that is true. And mm -hmm. and then there are some women because women often are, are the problem solvers when it comes to the sexuality uh, or or they're not. But um I had one female client tell me that um, he just, my husband just doesn't turn on anymore. And she said, I got tired of things not happening when I tried to get sex started. And I always thought it was me because women usually blame themselves first, right? And thought it was me. And then she said, I stopped trying because I thought it was embarrassing to him. Oh, yes. I've heard that. Yeah. I have definitely heard that multiple times. Um, I know, uh, you know, like with prostate cancer survivors, for example, partners don't want to say anything because they feel like it's going to be too sensitive a topic. Mm -hmm. And I, I know that uh, there's some research that shows that women will sometimes throw themselves under the bus. They will go for help with sexual issues, but it's really their partner who's having the problem. So yes. they, so I think they go to see, like, is there something wrong with me? Should I be doing something differently? And they're really trying to figure out how to help their partner. Um, so that... Yeah, I think that's really true. There's a lot of shame and embarrassment, uh, avoidance, uh, and and I think, as you said, you know, men don't seek out help. They like in general, they don't seek out help. They don't ask for directions. I mean, that's you know, yeah. it's a stereotype, but it, it, it's, it's there for a reason. Yes, that's right. <laughs> that's right, and and it's also true, Doctor Stephanie, that. Unless a man is in a good relationship with a, let's say, a knowing partner, the shock of the changes uh, that he that his aging body is experiencing um, it can 
and does often bring on powerful psychological crisis. And this psychological crisis can frighten a man into erectile dysfunction. It yep. can add to it. The, the psychological overlay adds to the physiological. Right. Uh, right. And, then, and this is the man who's saying, you know, my job as a male is to be strong. And so he's not going to talk about it or ask his doctor or his wife for help. Yes. In, in many cases. Yes. Um, yeah. Right. And he goes into a shell. He goes into a Very shell. Very hard once, once he goes into his shell or his cave or whatever analogy you want to use. Mm-hmm. It, it can be very hard to get him to come back out. And it's, it can be frustrating. Frustrating for the partner. And then because the uh, male partner is in denial, uh, you know, he, he's not really paying attention. He's thinking everything is okay. Or, you know, his partner is maybe exaggerating or overly emotional about things. And, uh you know, it can be frustrating. I do want to say that, you know, yes. we're, we're talking about male and female partners, but this can happen too when you have two male partners or, you know, like mixed, um, uh, you know, we can don't want to go too far field, but you, know, you can have transgender people with, uh, mm-hmm. you know, male hormones and so on. And, and, and they can have struggles too that are due to aging. So um, just want to make sure that I said that. I think it's very inclusive, right? We want definitely want to be inclusive. Yes, yes. Mm-hmm. So um, there, I think it's important. I want to talk about a little bit more about the health issues, and then we'll get into the psychological issues, and maybe the whole concept of use it or lose it, which definitely it's involved. Yes, in. yes. And then I want to talk about alcohol, diet, and stress. Yes. And so we've we've got lots to cover in this hour with you, dear listeners. And Dr. Stephanie is so knowledgeable. And we had a wonderful show together in September where we talked about female menopause, among other things, and communication and how it can get easier. And, of course, communication goes into everything. So... (laughs) We need to communicate clearly. But the health issues, um, there. I think it's important to underscore, and a number of studies have, have shown this, um, that there is a robust population of older men who, who do survive this potential crisis, um, well, with their egos and their <laughs> crisis with their egos and their erectile tissue intact. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah. And, uh, Forty uh, percent of these normal, healthy males remain completely potent at age seventy. This was a study that was uh, done many years ago, and and I know more recent studies have even gone higher. As long as the man is healthy, exercises, and um, watches his diet, uh, but impotence, as it used to be called, erectile dysfunction, now uh, is definitely age related, and um, but. The, the importance of this show today is that, as we've already hinted at, it's, it's, it's not explained by aging alone. Um, a man's general physical health picture is, is really is quite significant. Um, 
because organic factors contribute to erectile dysfunction and up to 80% of men. I remember over 40 years ago when I was in graduate school, when they didn't know as much uh, and there weren't as many studies, it's we were taught that it was 80, 80, 40, 80% was, uh, was organic or physiological and 20% psychological. Now it's flipped completely. They have, mm-hmm. yeah. So, mm-hmm, but, mm-hmm. but of course the psychological issues can overlay and be impacted by the, the physiological issues, right? Right. Definitely. Um, yeah. So I, th- yeah, I, I mean, I feel bad that there was a time when men with, Erectile dysfunction, you know, is explained by uh, psychological issues, but they didn't have any treatment. And so they were back then on the couch, you know, with an analyst trying to help them with their ED. And it wasn't going to help because there was something physiological happening. And those things, one of those things, of course, testosterone can be issue but also uh high cholesterol and that's where diet comes in uh and and blood pressure issues blood pressure medication can cause ed lots of medications as uh we age you know we're susceptible to different problems such as diabetes heart disease uh, neurological problems and so on and all of those can have an impact on sexual function as well. Uh, so one thing about ED is that if a if a man is experiencing that, not just once in a while, once in a while, man, eh, that's okay. That's that's nothing to get worried about. Unfortunately, a lot of men do worry about it, and then they they cause themselves a lot of harm. But if it happens um, multiple times over a period of say, you know, six months, then it it's advisable to go get a health checkup, not just a um, not just testosterone, but cholesterol levels, blood sugar, and other things should be tested as well. You know, I remember vividly when uh, Viagra, Pfizer's drug was approved by the FDA. It was in April of 1998. And at that time I was living in Hawaii and uh, I had a show called 50 Plus and Fabulous, a radio show that went to all the, I was on Oahu and Honolulu and it went to all the neighboring islands. So right after that drug was approved in April of 1998, I had a urologist on my show and Eddie Sherman, who was a three dot columnist, you know, he, he was sort of a columnist uh, who'd been around forever and he was in a happy marriage an older man a diabetic something happened with the sound i'm not hearing you're not hearing me oh yeah you dropped off okay can you hear me now yes i can okay so i was talking about the show that i had in hawaii and how uh eddie sherman one of the guests was quite open about because he'd been in some of the tests the pre-tests how it really helped him as a diabetic man and he could now get an erection and he was in a happy marriage but he was an older man happy marriage with a slightly younger woman so we had a discussion about this and of course there are many uh asian men in hawaii 
and they're they seem to be particularly uh, prone to not want to talk about sexual things uh, with their partners. There isn't often, I'm, it's a stereotype, but there's, because we all have bad communication. But they would prefer to take a pill secretly rather than to even talk about it. And then there, then there were the so-called Viagra divorces right after that, or within a, a year of that, because they had been neglecting their wives and they'd come to their wives with an erection, and the wife would often look at them and say, you've got to be kidding me. You've been neglecting me. I haven't had any emotional foreplay or anything, and I don't want that thing. Besides that, I'm dry. I'm, you know, I've yes. got a vagina. Yes. So sex right. is off the table. <laughs> yes, I remember that. I huh. uh, started my practice a little bit, like maybe 2001, but I remember, maybe the first man that I worked with who had ED and gone to the doctor, he said he picked up his prescription, brought it home, shook the pills, this is his words, shook the pills like a maraca and said, baby, I'm back. And <laughs> his wife said, what? I thought we were done with that. <laughs> That's why he was in my office because, yeah. you know, he, he I mean, he wasn't going to force the issue. He just wanted a place to say, I can't believe that happened. I can't believe that, you know, yeah. now, like, but you're right. I mean, if it's been a, quite a while, you can't just expect a partner to necessarily be over the moon that you are uh, back to being able to get erections. So it requires a lot of communication. Yes. And that's where you and I have been helpful to to many couples, uh, and to to teach them that sex does not equal intercourse. That there are all these other things that outer course, the sensei focus homework that most sex therapists uh, suggest. But but for a lot of people, you know, that virility thing. I've got a hard penis, and I want it in a warm vagina. <laughs> Right, right. And yeah. I feel more virile when I do that, and and I'm working, and I'm so happy about that. Right. Yeah. yeah. And of course, the um, one of the causes of ED is the uh, impairment of blood supply to the penis, and um, you know the narrowing of the arteries. That you've already mentioned the cardiac problems, uh, medications. Uh, but in this case, the the heart does not pump enough blood to the penis. And right. so that combined with the sort of paralysis that a lot of men feel with aging and, and having intermittent ED or even uh, constant <laughs> erectile dysfunction. Yes. Yeah. So it can be quite a shock to the man. And I think that um, if a man does not have a regular trusted partner, um, he's of greater risk for erectile dysfunction as he ages because the um, the three psychological profiles that turned out in one of the big studies to be strongly linked to erectile dysfunction, in this study it was depressed men, angry men, this would be angry men whether expressed or repressed, 
and so-called wimpy, that's in quotes, men. Men who were easily intimidated and had difficulty making decisions. Isn't that interesting? You know, that, mm-hmm. yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and, I can see all of that. Yeah. Mm. You Can you think of any uh, case study, uh, cases where you saw that where the man was angry or um, repressed or just oh, yeah. paralyzed? Maybe you can come up with an example of, of that in your own practice. Right, definitely. Uh, you know, I think I can think of many cases where uh, somebody was experiencing ED and their their part they, they were unable to be assertive with their partner or assertive with their care, with their health care and would be, you know, and partners sometimes uh, you know, this is a whole other topic. Yeah. Sometimes partners are not helpful at all when this happens. Um, even from the first instance, they will say terrible things like, you know, are you, uh, what's wrong with you? And uh, what that you don't find me attractive and maybe you're not much of a man or you're not man enough for me. Uh, those are those are terrible insults to fling around, especially when there could be something physical going on. Um, just should never happen. But the what can happen though is that the man is, you know, he's just kind of a quieter kind of person and uh, a pleaser maybe, and they don't speak up and set limits and say, hey. You know, the, the, the insults are not helpful to the cause of us engaging sexually, and it needs to stop. And, and But then, too, he needs to say, I will go get it checked out. I will go get myself checked out. So Actually, it's a- in 1998-1999, uh, 1998, the, with uh, Viagra being on the market, the men had to go to a urologist or their general practitioner in order to get a prescription for it. And there were so many men who finally, you know, they wanted this little blue pill. So they go in and get checked out. And lo and behold, the examination and tests show that they have heart disease. Yes. So it got men in and probably saved a whole bunch of lives. Men finally saying, okay, 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 I, I want this thing to give me a heart on, and I got, but I got to see the doctor. So men need to uh, wise up a little in, in many cases and, 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 and maybe even listen to their wives. But, but then the wives often feel like it's before they find out all these, get educated on it, mm-hmm. they feel like it is their fault. There, there was one small study that looked at blue collar men and cops and firemen and who had this idea that if I have to have a woman help me get it up, well, that's just not masculine, doctor. And I don't, that's just not right. And oh, yeah. Yeah. And, and women who thought, oh, if I were just Marilyn Monroe or, you know, that's sort of, sort of an old example, but. <laughs> 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 dates me, but that 
if I were if I were just beautiful and seductive, then he could get it up. And it simply is not true based on lots of studies and anecdotal stuff. Men who are confronted with a beautiful, seductive wife, if they have ED, will, will often be even more limp because it's performance anxiety that uh, yes. lives ugly head then, wouldn't right. you say? Right, performance anxiety. And once, once, uh, <clears throat> once men experience, well, women have it too, but yeah. once uh, a man experiences it, it becomes kind of self-fulfilling prophecy or they go into sort of a death spiral like oh this happened and i'm afraid that it's going to happen again and then it happens again and then they go oh no now I, now it's really a problem and it just keeps happening over and over again and it's because they're afraid that they're going to have ed so then they do have ed um and it can be very difficult to uh, get out of that spiral um, and so that's where uh, sex therapy can be very helpful is to provide some techniques on how to um, change one's perspective and one's outlook on things uh, especially on sexual things and, yes. and uh, you know change change their thinking around so that they're more um more focus on pleasure, less focus on their penis, more focus on enjoyment, sharing, communicating, and not putting all of their self-worth into their penis, which may or may not work exactly as they want it to. Precisely, Stephanie. Yes, that's that's it. Mm -hmm. and, and you know, a, a lot of a lot of men have a lot of success with putting their partner's pleasure first and you know and to be real and it also takes their the man's mind off his own uh inconsistently performing penis uh if he if he focuses less on his penis and more on her pleasure and what he can do to bring her pleasure so many women really enjoy cunnilingus. For lots of women, it's the best way to reach orgasm. So men who have ED that maybe is helped by Viagra or Cialis or one of the PDE5 inhibitors, um, if they, they'll, they'll get really good at oral sex, at going down on a woman. And she's very pleased about that. Right. Uh, <laughs> yes, it all works out. <laughs> It does. It does. And just learning that um, it was my supervisor. You probably, I'm sure you know him, Stephen Braveman, who, yes. who said to me when I was learning to do sex therapy that they said, well, who made the rule that somebody in the room has to have a hard penis in order for sex to take place? And I went, huh. <laughs> so, yeah. yeah. You know, I, I mean, I was 20 years younger and it, yeah. It just kind of didn't occur to me. And I was like, well, that's, that's, yeah, that's true. That yeah. is true. We have to get away from that uh, performance model of mm -hmm. sex and, uh, you know, move over, like you said, you know, but to the understanding that there are other ways of creating pleasure for oneself and one's partner. Now you've written how many books? 11 or something? You've written a lot. <laughs> 
No, I've I've written a couple of books. They're primarily for other therapists. I I, I just uh, recently signed a contract for a book on ethics in sex therapy. Uh, It's not ethics in sex therapy. It's actually it's ethics in psychotherapy uh, Mm -hmm. focusing on sex, sexuality and gender. But I did write a book called Enlighten Your Sex Life. And uh, and it's the subtitle is Don't Settle for Boring Sex, uh, because I think no matter what is going on in your life, that you can have a sex life and that it, it may not look like a conventional sex life, what we think is is supposed to be happening, but you can definitely have an exciting sex life uh, with or without having penis vagina intercourse uh so that that's part of the premise of the book and the other is just you know so many people have really poor sex education and you can't really communicate well about something you don't know about so the book is really brings a lot of education a lot of things that partners can talk about together discover together uh, and then goes through all kinds of ways that people can have pleasure besides intercourse. Yes, and the uh, of course, you and I know, and let's just bring the listeners up to speed on this, that Masters and Johnson's research uh, was critical in the 50s and 60s in, in our understanding of, of this. And... Um, it was Virginia Johnson who pretty much established the field of sex therapy. And one of the things that she and William Masters just noted was that there was too much genital focus because they actually had real life couples that they could observe back in the 50s and 60s. They got away with that in research. <laughs> <laughs> and so, uh, it's so it, you know, there's uh, it, from the top of our head to the, t- the very bottom of our feet, there are all these possible erogenous zones to be explored. And a lot of people get stuck between the legs. There's this feast, and yet people are getting stuck between the legs in terms of sexual stimulation. I've had, uh, as I'm sure you've had too, women with vaginismus, which is causes painful penetration, and if it's at all possible. I've had, uh, of course, men with uh, who are have erectile dysfunction, or even for premature ejaculation, getting, getting, uh, uh, discovering new erogenous zones can be very exciting and taking your time and uh, going through the steps of sensate focus and finding out that I, I had one um, Korean guy uh, married to a Chinese woman who has vaginismus. And he's been, they've been doing the sensei focus homework and communicating better. And he says he's so happy to discover this, that there are these possibilities and his sexuality is improving. And he's a young man. So isn't it great to have those realizations when you're young and you don't have to go through years of misery? Yes. <laughs> yes. Yes. That is so true. I sometimes complimented people for coming in when they're younger and saying, you know what, now you have the skills to talk about changes in your body, changes in your relationship, changes 
in your sexual function or even just what you want sexually as you develop because we don't stop developing as adults we keep developing and uh you know we have to be able to talk about the changes that are happening men sometimes lose some sensitivity <laughs> as well and that can result in something called delayed ejaculation mm -hmm. right and so delayed ejaculation is it's pretty subjective but it's basically when it takes a man so long to ejaculate that he's tired his partner is tired it, it, it's not pleasurable intercourse is not pleasurable anymore uh and so you know basically they stop or they finally ejaculate and it's not that pleasant an experience for them uh and that can be problematic that's a little harder to treat but a lot of it really does have to do with what you're talking about it's like being uh uh you know not not exploring all of the erogenous zones so that uh, the man experiences sort of optimal arousal. He's not turned on as much as he thinks he is. He has a hard penis, which yay, that's okay. <laughs> but but he's not. That's not really an indicator of how aroused he is or he could be. And then he's focused on his partner's pleasure because he's like, well, I have a I have a hard on, so I'm okay. Mm -hmm. And I become so focused on my partner's pleasure, I lose touch with my own body and I don't enjoy myself. And that can be, uh, you know, of course, that can cause ED, but it can also cause delayed ejaculation. Just not being in touch with oneself. Uh, but sometimes delayed ejaculation uh, isn't so problematic uh, if the man is older. And uh, maybe sometimes being on an antidepressant will will hinder ejaculation. Yep. But, then, but I've worked with couples where they make adjustments. And one way, one way is as he feels he's if they're having intercourse and he feels he maybe could ejaculate, but he, he just can't when he's in her vagina, he can take his penis out. Like if he's if they're doing doggy intercourse, he can take his penis out and ejaculate over her bottom. Yeah. Um, and and it, and that's actually has worked too for couples that are struggling where they don't want to delay ejaculation uh, because they're trying to conceive a baby. That would be one time where you really want it to be in the vagina, obviously. Right. right. But, but the man can get a little more comfortable in stages if he does have delayed ejaculation. Um, so. Yeah, there, there is. It's, it's all very complex. But if people can talk about it, um, and it could be, too. I wanted to discuss with you the use it or lose it thing, which, as we age, it's so prevalent. You know, whether we've got to keep moving. That's one use it or lose it thing. You know, exercise. It when we're in our youth, it's optional perhaps. But when we're older, it's a mandate. We've got to exercise. But mm -hmm. um, when uh, when you when you're aging and there may be this potency crisis, as it sometimes has been called, um, when uh, the the vigorous uh, sex life requires a trusted partner and some discipline in drinking, eating, back to exercise, and 
preventative health measures. Right. Um, and yeah. cannabis, too. Oh, and cannabis. Let's not forget. Yes. Cannabis. I mean, cannabis is kind of one of those, well, uh, just like alcohol, it's kind of like a double-edged sword. Like you take, have a little or a certain amount and it relaxes you and maybe that helps you with sex. But then if you have more than kind of the optimal amount, now what happens? If it's alcohol, you can have ED. If it's uh, cannabis, that can, not for everybody, but it can create a low desire. And, you know, we talked about a stoner, but basically that's somebody who's kind of checked out and they check out sexually too. So um, that's not been my personal experience with cannabis. My husband and I often use uh, cannabis at, we call it sex pot. But we, but we're mature and we communicate well. And I, yes, yeah. And, and a few of my clients, I've suggested this to because it really helps women who are so inhibited lose some of their inhibitions. But they have to take their time and find out what's the right dose for us. Yes, and exactly. Is it edible or is it smoking or is it you know how am I going to take this cannabis in? Right. And, and it's even helped some men that I've worked with, with ED and with PE, a premature ejaculation. So if they're educated, and actually I have a bonus chapter in my book, uh, Love in the Time of Corona, uh, and Dr. Mark Schoen, one of our favorites, he wrote, <laughs> he wrote a blurb on the back. It's a year's worth of sex therapy in one volume, uh, which was a nice blurb. <laughs> <laughs> but I have a bonus chapter, uh, cannabis for couples, and a number a number of my couples have benefited from reading this. And yes, yes, absolutely, it can yeah. be wonderful. It can be it can be an aphrodisiac. It can help you relax, and it has so uh, many, many, many benefits. So I didn't. I hope I didn't sound like I was no, saying don't no. smoke it because you know edibles can be very enjoyable. Uh, it's just. Uh, it, it 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 seems that uh, because of course I've had I'm in California we've had uh, legalized cannabis here for quite a long time and uh, you know some clients swore by it and it was it just made their experience that much more pleasurable and then there were a few who like they would fall asleep. You know, they would yeah. try different strains and they would still fall asleep or sometimes it would be wives bringing their husbands in and saying you know we're not we, we don't have sex and then when you look at the uh start talking about substances and they are using marijuana pretty chronically you know from morning till night well that that's yeah. the problem and it's just like alcohol you know sure. alcohol, right unless you have a true problem with alcoholism, then, you know, having a glass or two of alcohol can be very pleasant. It's wonderful. A bit too much. And too much. Talking, so, yep. Alcohol is, it can be a, a treacherous friend for a man of middle age. The, um, uh, the alcohol itself, of course, doesn't cause the erectile dysfunction. Because, uh, you know, a couple of drinks uh, can actually excite for better erections. But it's the chronic use of alcohol that literally murders potency. Um, yeah. 
And when we look at the tissue, uh, I've heard a urologist say this, I bet you've heard it too. When we look at the tissue from patients with chronic alcoholism, the nerve is killed inside the penis. It's almost impossible to revive it. Yeah. And, and Dr. Lou, remember him, Dr. L-U-E, Lou? Yeah, yeah. He said, it's almost impossible to revive this nerve. It usually takes 10 or 15 years of chronic heavy use to kill the nerve. Have 10 to 15 years of heavy no. alcohol use to kill the nerve. The same right. for cocaine in small doses. It might be okay, but chronic use of cocaine associated with chronic impotence. And no, we know smoking is absolutely devastating. Uh, lots more people have quit now smoking cigarettes, and that's such a good thing because um, it damages the tiny blood vessels in the penis. And these tiny blood vessels must enlarge to accept the, well, the onrush of blood during the course of an erection. Um, and um, and then, of course, back to diet. Uh, you know, going way back to the 90s, the first really big study on male sexuality was the Massachusetts study. And it, that study produced the first evidence that cholesterol level is related to erectile dysfunction. The, the high levels of HDL, which is called the good cholesterol, um, were significantly associated with reduced levels of ED. So that's good to know, right? Right. Um, yeah. And yeah. Uh, all the, the... And then there's also the thing about nitric oxide, which inside the penis. And as I understand it, the nitric oxide is elevated with Viagra, the Nendafil, I think I'm mispronouncing it, I guess the drug of it. Mm -hmm. And the nitric oxide helps the smooth muscle inside the penis, helps with the erection, and it goes down as men age typically, because it, it uh, but it's kind of a gas inside the penis. And I'm not describing this very well, but the nitric oxide can be helped by one of, if it's low, and it is low for many older men, it helped by, by one of the PDE5 inhibitors. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. Definitely. But again, kind of going back to the, the psychological, I think, you know, whether it's ED or something else, I think many people don't like the idea of having to depend on a medication, uh, but... I, I, I kind of take the opposite view that medication can be uh, quite, if it's used correctly and, um, you know, hopefully not cost prohibitive, mm -hmm. which it isn't any longer because there's a generic form of yeah. that's available. So now it is affordable. Um, you know, why would you turn down an aid that it will improve your quality of life. Uh, so I think- Exactly, exactly. Uh, let's, um, under the, um, we've talked about diet and alcohol. I wanna talk a little bit more about stress because it, it, for so many, this is the final straw. Um, it, that psychologically, there are three changes that occur related to stress and in men and it, it increases 
in depression, hostility, and anxiety. Uh, these are the changes that occur psychologically, increases in depression, hostility, and anxiety. And uh, all of this stress further constricts the blood vessels that allow the penis to become engorged. And um, this is this can be, of course, devastating because men, men in general are so identified with their penises. And when they don't work, it just, and they don't have a good relationship that's communicated, it's devastating. Um, in, in um, well, it, I'd like you to comment on the stress, the stress piece of this. Yeah, so stress, you know, I, I think, I think it's fair to say that everybody these days has stress. We're living in a very stressful time and, mm -hmm. uh, you know, but, uh, I think men often internalize their stress. And as you said, you know, there's that um, myth that men are supposed to be strong and to carry the weight of the world on their shoulders and not show that there are any, they are having any problems, that they can do it, they can take care of it, they can provide, they can, you know, all of those messages. And when uh, when when they stumble or when life is um, making it difficult for them, uh, whatever it is, you know, a, a, an overly an unrealistic boss or, uh, you know, problems with kids, uh, you know, like as men are getting older, they have teenagers. So, you know, wow. teenagers doing those things that unfortunately teenagers sometimes do. Often uh, do. <laughs> often do, yeah. I was trying to give them a little break. <laughs> well, you have a daughter who was once a teenager. I have a daughter who was once a teenager <laughs> and a son, although I had more trouble with my daughter. <laughs> yeah, I have uh, heard that. <laughs> there, there's an Arab curse that my uh, the father of my daughter evoked and... Uh, and it was when she was 13. And the Arab curse is, may all your daughters be 13. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> That's a good one. I have yeah, yeah. You know, you've got to get through it. But so do they. They're just, the hormones are dictating to them. Um, yes. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So Oh, those things are stressful. stressful. And, and even good things can be stressful. You know, wedding yeah. coming up or uh, those kinds of things, a promotion and worrying about uh, living up to expectations. So stress can be uh, very detrimental, um, It not just psychologically, but also it does have a physical effect and, you know, our cortisol levels go up and uh, adrenaline goes up and adrenaline has a direct effect on erections. So, you know, managing stress can be really important. And uh, there's there were a number of studies on mindfulness being helpful for women uh, with uh, low desire. But I think what I've found anecdotally is that it can be helpful for men too to just be able to be more in the present moment mm -hmm. and not have so many worries about 
what, you know, anticipation about what is going to happen. Like the other shoe is going to drop and I'm just going to uh, just worry about it. That's such a good point, Stephanie. That's, yeah. Uh, yeah, Lori Brato's book, Dr. Lori Brato's, the Canadian, the Canadians are doing so much good research because, oh, well, the government funds it. And the U.S. government does not fund, at least I'm not aware of any funding, on the pleasurable aspects of sex. And the pleasurable aspects of sex and wanting pleasure for ourselves. And if pleasure isn't even taught to young people uh, with sex education, to be more focused on pleasure, however you have your pleasure. And it doesn't have to be PIV, penis and vagina. Uh, and so, yeah, um, mindfulness, being in the moment. I find uh, personally, in my personal, happy to say, robust sex life with my husband, I am more and more in the moment. And part of it's my mortality. You know, there's less time to waste as I get older. I want to. Yes. Yeah. I want this to be the best possible experience and it works. Uh, yes. To be really present and breathing and not thinking about a whole bunch of other stuff, which, you know, uh, it's it's thought that since women have a bigger corpus callosum, the connecting tissue between the right and left hemispheres of the brain, that, that enable women when they have babies, if they're having sex, they can also hear the baby cry. Well, women are still multitasking when their baby is now having babies of, of his or her own. <laughs> uh, yeah, right. yeah. So they're still, they're still multitasking because there's a part of them doesn't really want to be there. So that can be addressed, of course, in the course of sex therapy with a couple or with mm -hmm. an individual. Um, but isn't that, don't you find that that's true, that just being so much in the moment and breathing and can really uh, improve one's sexual experience. Right, right. And then just also finding as far as stress management for men, I mean, men aren't always great at making friends, but mm. developing a support network, uh, even, even to just, you know, if you're not going to be so open about things and open up verbally, but even to just have other men to hang out with and have that feeling that you are with people who understand you and maybe over time uh, you do get more comfortable and you can open up and and talk with other men. I mean, that's one of the things I look at my husband as he's aging and, and, and seeing him, uh, you know, he has good buddies and they don't, they don't, they don't sit and talk about things for hours like I do with my friends, but, but they do, they do let off some steam. They do talk about things. And I think it's really helpful uh, in terms of stress management. And then, uh, like you said, exercise, exercise is so important. I, you know, I go to the gym three times, at least three times a week uh, for an hour. And uh, if I can squeeze in some other exercise as well, I will. And my mood is improved. I'm less stressed out. I feel like I did something good for myself. So it builds my self-esteem. It does so many things for me. Uh, it's not just about like making my body look better, although that's a, definitely a benefit. But uh, I I think um, being sedentary is not helpful, not at all. 
and for one's health, both physical and mental, of course. Yeah. Uh, um, I, I started strength training a year ago to add to my swimming and walking. And I'm so glad I did because, for instance, I noticed getting out of the ocean in Hawaii uh, with a slope. I was much better this year than I was last year because my legs are stronger. So yeah. little things like that. Uh, and as we get older, uh, we do lose physical strength and our muscles. So strength training is really, really important. Now, we we have to end this in about five minutes. So I, I did want to get to the conclusion and some things that Dr. William Masters of Masters and Johnson, I met him in 1995. I was invited to a conference in Washington, D.C. And mm -hmm. Dr. William Masters, this was just, oh, a couple of years before he died, was there and so was Dr. Ruth. And I was there to talk about aging and sexuality, my specialty as a result of studies I did with a doctor in the early 90s that were published in medical journals. So. I wanted, I, I actually got to talk to Dr. Masters and I just, he, he, uh, he was wonderful. Um, and, uh, so this is, he, he, uh, he, Dr. William Masters, um, was asked, what's the best advice that he could give to an older man who is worried about losing his potency? And, um, at the time, Dr. Masters was around 80 years old and um, and he answered it with so much tenderness. He said, talk to your partner, tell her you have these concerns. She's probably concerned and afraid to tell you. Then talk to a competent sexologist and how to reactivate your bedroom scene. Um, so he, he was treating sexual dysfunction for 50 years and he's, he had a very humble definition of good communication in a relationship. And it's this, it's the privilege of exchanging vulnerabilities. Isn't that beautiful, Stephanie? Beautiful. Yes. The privilege of the... It's the privilege of exchanging vulnerabilities. Well, you know, at the core of real intimacy is trust, the ability to trust and be vulnerable. Yeah, and, it is. Yeah. Absolutely. That's a beautiful quote. I've never heard that one. Yeah. So now you have, and I'll put it in the show notes too, so you can, can uh, I, I love it. And he was a very dear man. Uh, I just, uh, I talked to him at the time about his more, his recent marriage at the time to the, his college sweetheart. He had divorced William, he had divorced uh, Virginia. And um, so he was very, very much enthralled with his college sweetheart, who was then in her, also in her 70s. <laughs> and they, and they apparently had a very nice relationship for a few years before he died. So mm -hmm. uh, I think that a lot of people are who are older, who take care of their health. And I'm speaking personally now, and I know how fortunate I am. I know it. It makes a big difference to have a really robust sex life. 
that's really healing. I mean, I had abdominal surgery last February and it helped me heal to have, well, at the beginning, no intercourse, but you know, lots of outer course and lots of touching and it really helped me heal. Uh, just as stress can produce all those bad things, the cortisol, the adrenaline, uh, that then um, sex can produce all the antidotes to that. So you have um, endorphins and oxytocin. Yes, yes. sex, sex orgasm, great stress relievers. <laughs> huge, 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 huge. So we have to uh, stop the show soon. Um, I wanted to end with Dr. Masters. Uh, do you have a, a final message that you'd like for our listeners to hear about this topic, which has mainly been today on andropause, male menopause, sometimes called? And um, yeah, any any last minute uh, or final words from you, Dr. Stephanie? Yeah, so I think what I would want to leave people with is the idea that you can have a sex life no matter what age you are you can you can enjoy a sex life and try different things be present communicate and enjoy all the pleasure that you can have at this stage of life beautifully stated and i of course we are exactly on the same page dr stephanie and you are such a wonderful guest. And I really, I hope I can invite you back and you'll say yes in the beginning of 2024. Okay. We have so much to talk about. We do. We have a lot to talk about. We're seasoned ladies. Seasoned ladies. Yes, yes, yes. Have lots of information just because we've lived a long time personally and clinically too. So. It's a good thing. So thank you again, Stephanie, for being on the program today. And in my show notes, I will uh, list that you are uh, learnsextherapy.com is your website because you're teaching other people how to be sex therapists. Correct. Thank, thank you, you again. Thank you again. And, um, you know, for all of you listening, and if you're a woman listening to this and your your guy has some evidence of andropause, male male menopause, um, get him, if you're listening, get him to listen to this show. That's the advantage of podcasts. You can listen when you want to. Right, Stephanie? Okay. Sounds okay. good. Okay. All right, everybody. Have a great Thanksgiving. You know, we have, we have a lot to be grateful for, even with all the troubles uh, globally and and in this country, but we have many blessings. So counting our blessings and being grateful is always a good thing to do. And I'm grateful for you, Dr. Stephanie. I'm grateful for you as well. <laughs> Thank you. Bye, everybody.